0: I don't know. Uh, she's kind of down below everybody now. You're towering over her. It'd be good if she just say something. Would you like to say something? Or you? Does that scare you? You don't know what to say. All right. It's certainly been good to have you with us. Praise God. Praise God. Very, very good. I might just make mention, and I don't like to. Put anything negative on uh, the service, but this mic was not working right. When we got here tonight, uh, several of the mics have been changed, and the backs of the unit here, some plugs have been unplugged and placed in different places. Something been unplugged here. Uh, unless you have been authorized to to uh, run this PA system, and we've told you and told you. Uh, you're not permitted to come in here and turn it on and preach over it or sing over it or whatever. Now, if you want to preach over it and you want to sing over it, you got to contact somebody who's authorized to run it, to come over here and turn it on. It's a very expensive uh, piece of equipment. It's not a toy, and, you know, we don't like to experiment on it and then to have somebody that doesn't know one knob from the next experimenting on it is even more tragic, or at least it could be. So we don't want to put it under lock and key. We've got enough things under lock and key around here already. We don't like to put anything else under lock and key, but we would like for you to just keep your hands off of it. Now, do you understand that uh, sometimes you have to put things pretty plain, see? Some folks don't seem to understand unless you really tell them how it is. Praise God. Now, all of our visitors who are here, open your ears now. You didn't hear what I said, did you? I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. Good to have the brothers up here on the front from Brother Tanberg's church. Brother O'Neill told me you were from his church, and good to have you with us. Praise God. It's always good to meet brothers of like precious faith. And Brother Tanberg is such a great man of God. And he's got a great church there in Eau Claire. First Corinthians the sixth chapter, verse nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. Verse 11 again, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of of our God. God bless you. You may be seated. And I'd like to speak to you tonight on the subject the power of a personal testimony. The power of a personal testimony. It is most difficult to deal with an experience Especially if you are on the opposing sides of the experience. To say that it's not a valid experience. And it's even more difficult to deal with one that is in accordance to the word of God. Now all of us have a testimony. Testimony. I hear a lot of testimonies. People say, I want to give my testimony, or they they give their testimony. There are a lot of books that are, I'm sure, uh, well-meant. The context of the books uh, deal with the past and such of the people. I really think our testimony about Jesus, about our past and such, it starts with Jesus. We don't really have a testimony when it comes to dealing with sin. That's not what we testify about. Some people go throughout the country giving their testimonies and they'll they'll spend a whole hour behind the pulpit and they'll talk about the things that they did that were wrong. They will build up the works of the devil and the works of iniquity. And there will be a simple phrase given at the end of their testimony about the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. But our life started with Jesus. And our testimony evolves around His work. Not around the works of iniquity. Now that's a very, very important thing. I remember several years ago we had some young people that came into our church that had a very bad past. And of course their their drug life Uh, would be very glamorous to to young people who are not in the church. For it seems to be that a lot of young people like the the drug scene and such. Uh, These young men would have had a real story to tell about their past. I have never been one to believe that you should spend all evening telling about what you were. I think you should tell about what you are through Jesus Christ. I really think that that's very, very important. I remember hearing a group of our young people, and uh, they were talking about a tape that they had listened to. And, of course, this tape involved the life of a, a man who was deeply involved in drugs and and sin of all Types, you name it, he was involved in it. And there was a particular uh, story that he told about a friend that he had that uh, uh, was involved in a killing, killing of his grandmother. And whenever I, I heard the young people talking about it, someone were laughing about it. I carefully evaluated. I got the tape and listened to it. I talked to some of the young people, and some of you here. I said, listen, you know, I don't really know what the intent was when this testimony was given, but to, to laugh over something as horrible as killing an 85-year-old woman is not funny at all. Uh, now, I've always had some convictions about going into detail about your past. I think all of us like to forget that to a certain degree. And if for some reason you don't like to forget it and you like to talk about it, I believe that there there must be a problem someplace. Now to say that I was in drugs or I was in sin, I was in gambling, I was in you name it, that's a different thing altogether. That's what Paul is talking about. But he stops there. And he doesn't go into all of that. Our testimony really starts when Jesus finds us. And that's what it's all about. It really does start when Jesus finds us. Our testimony is always positive. It should be that way. It was meant to be that way. I remember... uh, a young lady who uh, came to church here and found me in the office one day and of course she was involved in prostitution here in the city she had a young child in her arms my wife was here and also brother and sister Armstrong were here that's when the Armstrongs lived here she came into my office and I was very very busy with some, some other personal matters of some people here in the city and at the time, she just walked in my office, took all of her belongings out of a taxi cab. And, and so uh, she came in and she told her story to me. Uh, I talked with my wife. My wife was not here. I talked with her on the phone. She came to church. And uh, because I was involved in the other personal matters, I had Brother and Sister Armstrong and Sister Grant to pray with this young lady. This young lady ended up in our home, and of course, we bought her a plane ticket, Flew her out of here into uh, the Minneapolis area where one of our pastors and his wife met her and picked her up. Took her then to her family. And she was reunited with her family. Well, because she came from Minnesota, somebody thought that they should give me the book uh, on uh, uh, prostitution. About prostitution. The name was Minnesota Connection. And I took it and, and I read it. Uh, Quite frankly, I was really glad that I had dealt with this young lady before I read the book. Because uh, the book was so horrible and so many things in it that uh, it was hard for me to believe that any prostitute could be saved after I read the book. I don't think the book uh, really did for me. Now, I'm not saying that for everybody in this congregation who read the book that you were wrong. In fact, I read it myself. But what I am saying that sometimes the works of the, of iniquity can be glorified too much, and people—that's all they want to talk about. They get their mind on those things, and uh, they uh, they they constantly think on these things all the time. We had some tape circulating around here by Mike Todd. How many of you heard? Was it Mike Todd or is it John Todd? I forget now which. But uh, John Todd, and of course he goes into all of this conspiracy and things that are happening, and he goes into witchcraft, and, and uh, you name it. I mean, he really goes into it. We had some new people who got some of those tapes, and they were having all kinds of, of problems like you wouldn't believe. I talked with one of the new converts of our congregation, and uh, she was just about half scared to death. She really felt that every morning when she crawled out of bed, I mean, she really had to drop down on her knees and crawl up underneath the bed, see, and look out to find out if the devil or if perhaps some government agency or agent was peeping in the window to find out what she was doing. It just literally had her scared to death. And so I told her, I said, I'd like for you to take your tapes and I'd like for you to to get rid of them. Well, uh, she told me later, said, I got rid of them. I gave them to somebody else. Oh, dear. I said, uh, uh, go get them back and burn them. Now, I think some people can handle that. Some people can't. And I do not say that I oppose people listening to, to those type tapes. But I am saying that, that if you constantly feed your spirit on those things, after a while there will be a fear that builds up inside of you, and believe it or not, there are a lot of these books, that Christian books, so-called Christian books that are written, that uh, are so descriptive in their particular nature, that uh, they have an adverse effect upon your spiritual life. Now, I remember the first time that we showed uh, the cross and switchblade here, I didn't get much thought to, to it. But later on because we had started the Christian school and I had been given a whole lot of thought about uh, who teaches in the Christian school and who shouldn't and what our kids should hear and what they shouldn't hear and what they should be exposed to and what they shouldn't be exposed to. And of course I made a very thorough study throughout the Word of God concerning the uh, plan of God for our children. And naturally I do not want our children to be clustered to the point that they don't know anything about the world, if that is not what God wants. But if that's what God wants, then I'm I'm happy with it. My philosophy has always been, whatever makes God happy just tickles me to death. And if that's what God wants, then I'm going to be happy with it, because God knows what's best for me. Well, I had built up some very strong convictions. The Bible tells us that concerning the ways of the world, that, that the children of God should be simple concerning those. You don't need to know a whole lot about the world. While you may think that you need to know a whole lot about the world to testify to them, that is not true. You may have a burden for people because you were involved in it, but you don't have to know a whole lot about what they're involved in to get them saved. The second time we, we showed the cross and the switchblade, it's in two reels, we showed one reel, and I came within just a gnat's breath, Of standing up before all of you and saying. We're not showing the second reel. And some of you felt that I felt that way. Because you came to me after service. And said Brother Grant. You were highly considering not showing the second reel. I said you're right. How did you know that? I could just feel that. When I looked at you. I knew you were considering this. Now. We did show that in in East High, and we also showed it on the campus. And certainly I think there is a particular place in which those things can be shown and in which they are highly beneficial. But I will say that some of the books that are written about the the particular events that took place, I don't know if you've read the book Run, Baby, Run or not. I read it, and some of the descriptive Uh, things that you find there about sex and drugs and such, I don't think it's wise for our young people to be reading it. Now, maybe you disagree with me. But I think you can read some of those things, and while you are on the mountaintop of the Lord, then you feel pretty good about it. But listen, we don't all stay on the mountaintop. And if you've ever found a way in which you can stay all together in such a place that Satan never tempts you, I'd like to know how you do it. Because I've never been able to achieve that level, and I've never met anybody else that's been able to achieve that level. But now, if you're one of those supernatural, super-duper Christians that always stays up here where the devil never can tempt you nor touch you, and you never have any bad, adverse feelings about anything, I'd like to know how you do it. So when the devil comes by, and when the Lord allows the devil to tempt you, there is one thing that you always have. Once you learn something, once you know something, it's there in your mind, and you do not easily forget it. And some of the things that might have appeared to be very constructive at a particular time in your life, turns out to be very destructive at other times. See, the curiosity of young people is built up and they wonder how it is if they experience the same things. I wonder how it would be if I was involved in this. And I think that you have to be very careful because a lot of the things that certainly are not meant to be a particular way, the devil steps in and takes advantage of it. And he turns it around and makes it look glamorous. He makes it look tough. True masculinity is not predicated upon sin. Sin. But true masculinity is predicated upon a man giving his heart to God. He has character. He has principle. His strength comes in his ability to submit to God. And God becomes the strong character of his life. Now, about our personal testimony, you will find that the in the book of Acts... And more and more and more I'm seeing this. Of course, most of the preaching in the book of Acts was done to sinners. Now, you are well aware of that. And when you are preaching to lost people, you're going to preach to them in a different fashion than what you would if you are given Bible studies or preaching to your own people. That is the people of the Lord. So naturally, I would not advise that the way that the preachers preach in the book of Acts, that that be the way that all of our pastors preach all the time. I think the epistles are pastoral letters that are written. And I think the vernacular of the epistles is appropriate to use in a service. And many times we have a service which is which is just a, a service of... Uh, you know, just uh, about everything. We sing and worship and testify, and we dance in the Spirit, and we fellowship, and then we pray. Then we take up an offering, and uh, sometimes we dedicate a child. Sometimes we baptize somebody. And and then, of course, we, we preach the Word of the Lord. We preach a while to the church, and then we preach a while to the people who need the Lord for the very first time in their life. But when it comes to the preaching... Of the book of Acts. Which was basically done to outsiders. Do you know that the apostles and the evangelists who preached in the book of Acts. They preached such simple messages. That most of us would become very bored with it. If our preachers stood up and they always preached. What they did in the book of Acts. Most of our people would become very bored with it. But it had a very clear precise message. It always was this. They spoke of who. Jesus is. Or who God is. They connected God, the God of the Old Testament, to the Jesus of the New. And this was a doctrine that was very, very paramount in their mind. They preached it. They taught it. They believed it. That that Jehovah God of the Old Testament became the Jesus Christ or the Redeemer of the New. And they preached that. And they instilled it in the hearts of their believers. Now, then they preached that that Jesus was able to deliver them. Deliver them a what? It didn't make any difference. If you have a, a bad spirit, we can cast that spirit out. If you have a sickness in your body, we can pray that sickness out in the name of Jesus Christ. If there's an affliction there, Jesus can, can heal. If you're bound by bad habits, Jesus can set you free. Now, that's the way they preached. And you will find that many, many people came and surrendered their hearts to God. It was a very simple thing. They just simply preached that Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, that he arose, which basically was the gospel. And they preached it fervently. I don't know how long they preached. Paul had preached for a space of about an hour when the man went to sleep and fell off the wall there and broke his neck. Sometimes I preach an hour, you know, and and uh, some of you get a little bit tired. And please understand, though, that when I preach an hour, if you think you're tired, you know, just trade places with me one time, you'll find out that it's not as easy to preach an hour as it is to listen an hour. Well, most of the time it isn't. Most of the time it isn't. But... Uh, this is what they did. They just simply preached that Jesus died, that He was buried, that He arose. And of course, uh, they, they connected Jesus with the God of the Old Testament, that He was a deliverer. He could set the people free. And, and so as a result, uh, they had great miracles that followed them, and many, many, many people turned their hearts to the Lord. Read of some of the great revivals of the New Testament, especially in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts when Philip went to Samaria and preached. Oh, what a great revival he had as people poured their heart out to the Lord and God did such great miracles there in the city. Philip took and baptized so many of those people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had not received the Holy Ghost, but Peter and John came down and laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. What a great revival they had. Then Philip was taken away. He was taken away into the desertous place. And there he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch. Was this message complex? A very simple message. He preached Jesus Christ unto him from Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? And the Bible says that Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest And the Bible says that they stopped that chariot and both went down into the water, verse 38 of chapter 8, and both came up out of the water, verse 39 of chapter 8. And then the Bible says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Philip simply preached Jesus unto him. Now, I believe it's time that we do publish his name. I believe it's time that we lift up his name like never before. Our city needs to know who He is, and that He, and He alone indeed, died for the sins of the world. Now we can find some examples in the New Testament about what a personal testimony did and what influence it had upon the people who heard the testimony. In John the ninth chapter, the Bible says that there was a man who was blind from birth. Now this this young man... He never had seen in his entire life. He was blind from birth. And the Bible tells us that that the Lord came by one day. And of course, uh, uh, when Jesus passed by, he saw that this man was blind from birth. His disciples then came to him and asked him, and they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words... They believed that somehow uh, that sickness or some uh, deficiency in the body was caused by sin. Now, I personally believe that when you get sick or when you have an affliction, the first thing you need to do, you need to repent. Now, it does not mean that all sicknesses that come to you, come to you as a result of some sin that you commit. But it very possibly could be that when you have some sickness that you have indeed committed a sin. Now you may say, how do you draw that conclusion, Brother Grant? Well, if you read in James the 5th chapter, and let's turn back there uh, to James 5. We read this last Sunday morning here in the hearing of our adult uh, class. In James the the 5th chapter the Bible tells us that if there be any sick among you that we are supposed to do what call for the elders of the church James 5 verse 14 the Bible says let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now the Bible didn't say that he had committed sin. It says, If he hath committed sin. In other words, there's a possibility. And I personally believe one of the advantages of having the elders lay hands upon you is that when they lay hands upon you to pray for you, them being spiritual men they very well could be spoken of but by, uh, by God concerning your particular need or perhaps your sin. Now I have personally laid hands upon several people right here at this altar. I have then ministered to them, I have questioned them, and there are many people that I have pinpointed to them what their particular problem was. Now I'm not saying all this to be boasting or bragging. I think that's one of the advantages of the elders anointing with oil. I think there's a time in which God is wanting to take a person from this life. You see, every person that is in the sanctuary someday will die. And someday the church will bind together and fast and pray to try to keep you alive and it might be your time to die. Now all the prayer in the world, I've never been convinced that God will always heal everybody all the time. I think there's a time in which you will die. Now we have proof of that. This world's been going on for almost 6,000 years and there's nobody of the past that's around now. And if we could keep all of you alive and all the people of the past alive and all the people who would be born in the future alive indefinitely by prayer, this would be a pretty crowded world. But it's God's plan that people die. And I think that you lay hands upon some people and you really do believe in your heart that it's time for them to die to pack up their bags spiritually speaking and leave and that's what the church is all about you see we all want to go to heaven but nobody wants to die to get there and I don't know of any other way to get there unless a rapture takes place but we're all so afraid that it's our time to go and yet all the while we're doing what we're doing because we're looking forward to going home Isn't that right? And so death to a Christian should not be considered a sad thing indeed. And it should not be considered a scary thing. Paul said for me to die is gain. For me to live is Christ Jesus. In other words whether I am alive or whether I die. I still will maintain a very victorious lot Because it's going to be Jesus. Whether I am here or whether I am in eternity It's gone all the way. And I think the elders, being spiritual, they ought to be able to discern whether it's God's time to take you. And if it is, there's nothing wrong with them saying, Brother or sister, the Lord has spoken to me, and I believe it's your time to go. Now we've had some elderly sisters here in our congregation. We have not been blessed abundantly with a lot of elderly men. But we've had some elderly sisters here. And I knew very well when they were afflicted and I went and prayed for them. It's their time to go. And some of them, I personally sat down and talked with them. And they admitted to me, I really believe it's my time to go. I think it's such a beautiful thing to be able to pray with somebody and for them to say, Brother Grant, I'll see you within the next year or two years or ten years or twenty years. I believe it's my time to go and be with Jesus. Now, even if you don't believe in God, please understand, it doesn't make any difference who you put your trust in. You're not going to stick around a long time on this planet Earth. So the Bible says that, that uh, if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. There's nothing wrong with all of a sudden just calling up somebody and saying, Look, I've been praying for a number of days. I've been sick. The elders have prayed for me. And I just have all in my heart against you. And I want to make the confession." Now, don't call up somebody that you have odd in your heart against, if you have no idea that they—that is that—that that they don't know anything about it. Sometimes you can create a problem. You can call up somebody and say, "Hey, I've got something against you." Now, if you have odd in your heart against somebody and you know that they know it then you might as well tell them and get it all over with. But don't open up something if uh, they don't know anything about it. See, they're not connected with the problem, so you don't have to confess to them. In fact, you'd be better off just to keep your mouth shut and ask God to forgive you and get all the garbage out of your system. Now, if you bring your gift to the altar, and if you know your brother has all against you, now that's a different thing altogether. Then you leave your gift there. You go to Him and you try to be reconciled to your brother. That's a different thing altogether. But what would be wrong with a brother calling up a brother and saying, Look, I've been sick for a week and I did you wrong back certain, certain day. And I know that I did you wrong and you know that I did you wrong. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. When you take the Lord's Supper, how should we take the Lord's Supper? The Bible says that we should examine ourselves. Now if we take the Lord's Supper unworthily, the Bible says some of us are sick, and some of us are weak, and some of us sleep. You can die spiritually simply because that you have sinned. Now back in John the ninth chapter, we have a case where there was a young man that was born, and the question came up, who sinned? Did he do it? Heart did his parents? And Jesus answered in the third chapter, third verse, pardon me, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. And I believe that when God comes down and touches you, that there are manifold purposes and reasons why God touches you. God never touches a person just to get him out of pain. I said, just to get him out of pain. While God may touch him to get him out of pain, there are manifold reasons why God touches. God wants His miraculous power and His miraculous character displayed to a world that's grouping in darkness that can not be delivered without the Redeemer of the world. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned but that the works of God should be manifest. I must works the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus, you know what He did? Jesus saw this young man that was blind. He reached down. He spit upon the ground. And it appears that what He's doing is making new eyes for this man. And so He takes the mud balls and places in His eye sockets. Then He tells him, said, I want you to go to the pool of Shalom and there... I want you to wash. And the Bible says that he did. Now when he washed his eyes, what happened? He could see. Now anytime time a revival breaks out, any time the miraculous takes place, you're going to find a lot of adversity setting in. In the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, it appears that every time they had a revival, they also had a riot. In other words, people just started uh, rebelling and rioting and such. Every now and then, you'll hear a lot of adverse criticism about the true apostolic Jesus' name, Holy Ghost Church. And some people get all disappointed and shaken up about it. But on the other hand, if nothing was ever happened, you'd get disappointed and shaken up about that. You've got to understand that there are a whole lot of people that even though they may be sincere in their heart, they do not have all the details, they do not have all the facts, and so as a result, just like Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, they're going to get upset thinking they're doing Jesus Christ a favor. Now that's what Paul did. Paul says, I even put people into death who believe this way thinking in my own heart that I was doing God a favor or a service. And I can't understand why some Christians get all bent out of shape when they hear a little bit of criticism. But you can—you find some people, they get all shaken up. Oh, well, my mother's church don't like this church. Or my dad's church don't like this church. Or, or Aunt Sally's church don't like this. Or Uncle Tom's church don't like this. Or... Or or right down the line. They, They just don't like this. And they get all bent out of shape. Well, my, if everybody liked it, the whole world would be apostolic, wouldn't they? Oh, we understand that there are more people that don't like it than that do. Why, it was that way in the days of Jesus, it was that way in the days of Israel. They stoned the prophets. Jesus wept over the city and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killeth them. Well, they took the prophets and stoned them and killed them. They were so blinded they thought they were doing God a service. Okay, here's this young man. Now he sees. Now I cannot imagine in my mind what it's like to be blind. It is most difficult for me to imagine what it's like to be blind. I could go down to the hospital and I see the numbers on the elevator. And underneath it they have the Braille. And even though I know, and sometimes I close my eyes after I peep. You see, I see the five, fifth floor, and they got all these little dots. I close my eyes after I peep and try to figure out which way the dots are going. I still can't figure it out. I've tried. I've tried my best. If you've never tried it, just look at them and you'll see three dots across, two down, one across this way and maybe a little leg over here someplace. And you look at it real closely. Close your eyes and, and see if you can visualize that those dots are in that position. You can't do it. I guess blind people can because that's the only eyes they have. They're feeling with their fingers. And it's very, very difficult. Very difficult. Very difficult you ever taken a picture, Brother Sonny, when it came out all black? That's what the blind man sees. Nothing. Now, here's a man that is seeing. Now, I'm sure when he was healed that what he did was he just went over and sat down someplace and didn't tell a soul. He said, well, thank you, Jesus. It wasn't that way, was it? Man, he began to broadcast it. He began to tell everybody. Well, what happened with the Pharisees? They came and they said, Hey, uh, we don't know about this miracle. Get the boy and take him to his mother. Is this really your child? And so she looked and she said, Well, sure this is my child. Okay, well, what about you, Dad? Is this really your son? Yes, this is this is my son. See, they did not want to believe that he had been delivered. They did not want to believe that he could actually see. And so as a result then, after they had bona fide witnesses that this was really the child or the son of these parents who indeed was blind, They sought further to find fault in the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They said, he's got to be a sinner if he heals on the Sabbath. Well, there was nothing written in the law that stated that Jesus could not heal on the Sabbath. But they connected that with works. You're not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath, see. And Jesus sent this man to wash. And it's a Sabbath well, he's got to be a sinner. And then they came back to the parents. And they put the parents on the spot. The Sadducees and the Pharisees joined together. They came back and they put the parents on the spot. And they said, we want to know. We, You've already told us this is your son, but we want to know how did he do it? Tell us how he did it. Now, the parents not really wanting to take a stand. You know, there are a lot of people that way. They don't like to take a stand. They don't have very many answers. The Bible says that they didn't want to take a stand. They did not because they knew that regardless of how they answered, they would either make the Sadducees happy and the Pharisees mad, or the Pharisees happy and the Sadducees mad. And so they weren't going to answer it. They did not want to take a stand. Oh, I'll tell you, every now and then I see some so-called Christians that don't like to take a stand. The old saying, you know, if a man won't stand for something, he'll fall for anything. Certainly is true. And all of life is making decisions and plotting courses and figuring out which way you want to go. What's wrong with being a bona fide Red-blooded Christian having the royal blood of God flowing through your veins. What's wrong with defending Jesus Christ? What's wrong with that? Jesus said, if you'd be ashamed of me, when I come, he said, I'll be ashamed of you. Praise God. You ever had somebody come up and kind of put you on the spot? You didn't know how to answer them? You didn't want to answer them? you just like to play the quiet game for a while. You know you couldn't do it. So, what the parents did, rather than answer, they said, Wait a minute. Our son's of age. We don't have to answer for him. He's of age. If you want to know anything, go ask him. And so, as a result, the Bible says that they made their way to find this young man and they asked him how do you know that this man who healed you is not a sinner how did he do it we want you to give us an answer concerning this man and the scripture says that he answered them and this is what he said whether he be a sinner or not I do not know But this I do know. Listen to the power of his personal testimony. This I do know. That once I was blind. But now I see. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 All he attempted to do was tell how great. What Jesus Christ really was in His own life, and what Jesus had really done. Praise God. Praise God! Praise God! You're talking about the power of a personal testimony. Praise God! Now a lot of you don't remember this, but we had a, a young lady in our church, Elaine Mo, who uh, she contacted some type of incurable disease. She'd been going to the doctor. We had been praying for her. We put her on prayer chain. We fasted. We prayed. We sought God. We did everything we knew. The doctors told us or told her that her condition was terminal, that um, first her optical nerve would probably be uh, eaten up by this particular disease, and then, of course, uh, it would attack other vital organs of her body until finally she would die. Now, Elaine was our Lady's Auxiliary Secretary right now. She lives in Prescott. No, not Prescott, is it? Maybe it is Prescott, Arizona. Very precious uh, uh, saint of God. She moved down there because her parents had retired. They were in very bad health so she moved down there to take care of them. But we watched Elaine go blind and we were praying and we were seeking God and we were doing everything we knew to do. And uh, we just put everything on the altar and we trusted God and we believed God and, and she got her glasses thicker and thicker and thicker and I remember the last time that she gave the ladies auxiliary financial report. She had on eight and a half by eleven sheets. She had big magic marker numbers, and she gave those. That's all she could see. And then she got where she couldn't see at all. And of course Elaine was not born that way, so she could make it around in her apartment and such. And we. One night we prayed for a person who was possessed with a devil. And we prayed a good long while here. And while we were praying, we also prayed for her. She came up to me after service and she said, You know, I'm claiming that Jesus has touched me and that Jesus has healed me. Now Elaine went home. She was not healed at that time, but she went home. She went to sleep. She woke up the next morning and Elaine could see. She ran and grabbed her Bible, and to her amazement, she had been using glasses. Elaine, as far as I know today, can see as well as I can, maybe even better. Praise God. Now, you try to go to Elaine Moe, and you tell Elaine Moe that there is no God. You won't do it. You couldn't convince her with all the scientific books that have ever been written that there's no God. And Elaine has gone throughout our city and throughout the city where she presently is. She's brought a lot of people to church and talked to people. You better believe she has a testimony. I once was blind But I prayed, the preacher prayed, the saints of God prayed, and God opened up my eyes. And I believe that every person that sits under the sound of my voice tonight, that you need a testimony where you can go to somebody and say, I know that Jesus Christ is alive because... Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did this. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. A similar story found in Acts, third chapter. When I say similar story... There's a healing that takes place. The apostles actually were the men who did the praying. It was not Jesus this time who did the healing. Of course, Jesus always does the healing. Peter and John went by the gate called Beautiful. And the Bible says that there was a man who had been there from his mother's womb. He was carried there and He was laid there daily. The Bible tells us that they went by one day and Peter and John looked at Him or they saw Him. Peter then fastening his eyes upon Him with John said, Look on us! In other words, they just said, Hey, look up here! And whether we advertise it that way to the world or not, that's exactly the way it is. While you're preaching and teaching about what God can do, they want to know what has He actually done for you. Tell us about your church. Tell us about your members. Have they actually been delivered? Have they actually been healed? Have they actually been set free from drugs and all the other things that the world encounters today have they actually received a, a blind eyes opened up, deaf ears unstopped, unclean spirits depart. Tell us all about it. Is it really the way that you testify that it is? Oh now the world wants to know that. You know, I think one of the greatest points of satisfaction in my entire life is to stand up here and tell you what Jesus can do, and see somebody come down here. We lay hands upon them and pray for them, and they walk away healed. Or we preach a message on salvation. They come down here. They actually repent. We take them to the baptismal tank. We put them under in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come up out of the water. Speaking with other tongues. As the Spirit gives the utterance. Praise God. Now all of us need a personal testimony. Now you may have never been sick. Now I have met a few people. Very few people. But I remember talking to Brother George Juno, and Brother George Juno said, I have not missed ever a day's work because of sickness. Now, I can't say that. But now you talk to Brother George Juno about that, and, and now he uses that in a very positive way. Now, if you talk to him about it, you know what he says? God has been good to me. I have not missed one day's work. In 20-something years, he has kept his hand over me. And he begins to quote some scripture. He shall give his angels charge over thee. There shall no plague come nigh thy dwelling. And he begins to talk and, and see he's given God the credit. And people, wow. I remember walking into his station one time. And he was testifying to a Pepsi man on the, that must have been six, seven years ago on the far west side around a station in Middleton. And he got me involved in the conversation after I got there. But he was really talking to this man and telling this man what Jesus could do. But you see, Brother George's testimony, I still remember the time when he received the Holy Ghost. Because he said, I'm a real shy person. He said, to get me to clap my hands and worship and everything, uh, he just couldn't do it. But I remember one night, and he was way back in the back, he was exactly where Brother Miller is tonight. The Spirit of the Lord came down in a worship service, and I remember going back there and laying hands on him, and listen, he began to dance in the Spirit. And he danced all over the back, and he shouted, and he spoke in tongues, and, and I mean, he really did... He, get, he got beside himself. And after it was all over with, I asked him, I said, Brother George, would you testify? He said, well, I guess tonight some of you people think I made a fool of myself, and maybe I did. But he said, I told the Lord there's one thing for sure I want a Bible-based experience not just something that preachers preach about. Not just something that people talk about. But I want something straight out of the Bible. That I can claim to be my very own. And he said I can assure you of one thing. Those people in the upper room don't have one thing on George Juno. For it's real. Praise God. It's real. I say it's real. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you take a gentleman like that that can go look at somebody right in the eye and tell them. Now this is what the Bible says that you ought to do. Jesus commanded them to go into Jerusalem and tarry until they be endued with power from on high. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And they went into Jerusalem. And the Bible says and when the day of Pentecost was fully come... They were all of one mind and one accord. And suddenly there came from heaven as a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it had set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. This promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are for. How do you know it's for me, friend? I know it's for you because one day at Calvary Gospel Church, back in the very last pew, the preacher laid hands upon me and the Holy Ghost came upon me just like it did in the book of Acts. And it filled my soul. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it doesn't make any difference what you think or how you believe doctrinally. Your theology may be all messed up, but you can't deal with the power of a personal testimony like that. Praise God. People are saying today, you know, the Holy Ghost is not for us today. Isn't that what some people say? Some say, oh, that, speaking of tongues, is of the devil. I've actually had preachers to tell me that. How do you figure that out? I said, Do you believe that speaking of tongues in the Bibles of the devil? Well, no, it wasn't then, but it is now. Well, yes, it is now. When did it change from God's work to the devil's work? Tell me when. One minister said, I'd be afraid to pray that I received the Holy Ghost, I'd be afraid that when I spoke in tongues, that I would speak in tongues of the devil. Jesus answered that, didn't He? Jesus answered that in in Luke, the 11th chapter. Praise God. Let's just turn there. Some of you looked bug-eyed when I said that. <clears throat> Luke the 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go to him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not! The door is now shut, and my children are, in, are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee now what he's actually saying here is that you know you go to a friend and your friend will not tell you that. That's not the way your friends friends treat you. They don't treat you that way. They have respect. They know what your needs are. And if you have a need, it becomes a need of your friend. Verse 10. Notice or verse uh, verse 9 he said and I say unto you ask it shall be given to you seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened to you for every one that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father will he give him a stone if he ask a fish will he give will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he ask uh, Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil, that is earthly, know how to give good gifts, in other words, if somebody asks you for bread, you don't go in the back room and you don't bring out a stone. You give them what they're asking for. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more... Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And if you're done praying, manifesting faith in Jesus, and you're asking for the gift of the Holy Ghost, there is not one slimy devil out of hell that's slick enough and powerful enough to get in there. Now it might be different if you're not praying to the Lord. But surely you've got enough sense to know, if you're praying for the Holy Ghost, who to go get it from. Praise God. I spoke in tongues as the Spirit. That's talking about the Spirit of God, Brother O'Neill. As the Spirit gave the utterance. Now some people, they just don't want to speak in tongues, or they don't want to receive the Holy Ghost. So they say, well, that's probably the devil. Isn't that what the Pharisees and the Sadducees said when Jesus healed? said, oh, this is probably the devil. The man says, well, I don't know, but this I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Praise God, praise God. God. They didn't know how to deal with that. They did not know how to deal with it. So in Acts, the third chapter there, Look on us. The world is looking on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now the Bible says that he rose up and he walked. But, he accelerated his speed a little faster when he got inside the temple. You see, he was never allowed to go inside the temple. Now you know, it's a strange thing. Nobody had to teach this man anything about Pentecostal worship. (laughs) He had never been inside of a church in his life, and probably had never seen anybody dance in the Spirit. You saw some men running around here leaping and shouting you know the reason why they're doing that this man was running all around this man was running up and down you know why they're running because they still feel exactly what they felt the night that God put his spirit on them they still have the same testimony it's still inside of them it still burns inside of them. Now I'm not saying that everybody ought to run every night. Some people will clap their hands and weep. Some people stand in one spot and jump up and down. Some people wave their hands. Some people kick their legs out. Some people run. This man had never been to a Pentecostal worship service. But he began, listen what he did. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. After he got there, what was he doing? Leaping and praising God. Anybody know how to leap? Who knows how to leap? Now some of you are afraid to raise your hand because <laughs> you know I'm going to ask you to stand up and leap. Now, for you who do not know how to leap, this is how you leap. (sighs) You think I can jump over that? Who said no? Now, Sister Debbie, I don't think you can either. (laughs) Oh, she really thinks I can. Okay. I wasn't going to leap over it. The truth of the matter is, I don't know that I can. I can step over it. Now, if I can do this, I ought to be able to jump over it. I would have gotten tangled up on my cord. But he was leaping and praising God. Well, the people all gathered together and they said, isn't that that cripple man out of the gate? They said, "Come over here." I said, "Are you the cripple by the gate?" Yeah. How did you get this? What happened? They said, "Well, you see those two men over there." I said they just came up and. You know, they talk about this name, Jesus. They used that name on me. And I felt strength come into my legs. That's what he said. I felt my my bones receive strength. And they believed that was going to happen. In fact, they reached out with their hand. They picked me up. Now, the Bible says they could not deny. The power of a personal testimony. They could not deny. Why? Because they saw with their own eyes and had knowledge that that was the man by the gate. You know what apostolics need? They need undeniable testimonies. Now the people weren't so excited about it, but they couldn't deny it. When Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, make full proof of your ministry, that's what he was saying. As much as I could search it out and look in it, That's exactly what he was saying. That when you stand up and you say that God is big and God is great, the people need to see his greatness. They need to see his bigness. They need to know that what you're talking about is real and that it's genuine. Praise God. I think it was... January first, three years ago or maybe two years ago, I remember a reporter coming in here on Sunday morning or was it Sunday morning, maybe Sunday afternoon? That's when we had an afternoon service, I think it was. And he just sat in the back of the building and we went ahead and had our service and I taught and we went home. He called me that afternoon he said, you know, I uh, gave his name. I'd heard of him before. Some of you had made mention of him to me. He said, uh, I'm from the Capital Times. And he said, we have received a whole lot of calls at our uh, office concerning the worship at Calvary Gospel Church. There are a lot of people that's visited your church that's called us and said, Listen. Their worship over there is out of this world. Now, he was very sincere. Was not trying to make fun or anything. And he said, I wanted to come out and, and write an article on your worship. He said, of course, I arrived a little bit late and did not realize when I came that you would be teaching. But he said, uh, contrary to what I thought in my mind, he said, uh I found your church to be a church of the Word. And he said, uh, personal testimonies were given. And then, of course, your message was preached and and such. And uh, he said, uh, I'd like to write an article on Calvary Gospel Church and the Word. He said, now, I will say this. If the testimonies concerning the worship is true, and I assume they are because of the number that we've had, and in view of the fact that you people are so heavy into the Word, you are indeed a very balanced and stable group. I thought when I came that probably you spent all your time jumping all around all over the floor, But he said, I never saw anybody worshiping. Of course, I was just getting ready to preach or just begun preaching. I know a couple of people testified. But he said, I find the church to be very balanced in the Word of God. Folks, one of the greatest powers going for you, and I use the word power here separate and apart from the Holy Ghost, Maybe I should use the word influence. The Holy Ghost is our true power. But the greatest influence you can have over souls is to look somebody in the eye and open your Bible and say, Oh yes, this is real. Why? I received it. It's real. Jesus heals. Let me tell you about a healing in my life. If you've never been sick. You can say I have been very fortunate. Not to really need a healing. Someday I will. But let me tell you about a brother or a sister. While it's not quite as effective when you tell them about somebody else. As when you're talking about yourself. Listen, there is power in testimonies. Praise God. You know what we need to do? We need to take our candles from underneath the bushels. And we need to say, look on us. Not that we're great. But there is a Jesus of Nazareth. That is now the Jesus of heaven. That can do exceeding, abundantly, and above all. That we are able to ask or think. Give your testimony. Young people, tell the world that you spoke in tongues when the Holy Ghost came. Every person here, tell everybody you can. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. I really believe that He is. And oh, how we need to reach our world, reach our city, reach our state. Praise God. Would you stand right now with me? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know what I occasionally do? I don't I don't know if you've ever thought of this or not, and I don't do it to be boasting. You always hate to talk about yourself all the time. But if you're talking to somebody that doesn't know anybody, that's apostolic, you're almost forced to talk about yourself. But occasionally I begin to count my blessings. I've taken a piece of paper and a pencil or pen many, many times in the presence of God. Now, Lord, remind me of every healing and every miracle you perform performed for me. Financial miracles, miracles of healing, times when I was lost in the Spirit, remind me of all those things. I've written them down one after the other. I prayed and asked God, let me tell the world, not about myself, but about the God who delivered John Grant. Folks, that's the testimony of the world. They don't care anything about my past. That's what they're in. They don't need to hear all that. They know all about that. Most of them have a past that I don't care how corrupt you were. You were. You're going to find somebody that that that'll duplicate your story and some yet. But what they want to know is, can Jesus really deliver? We know the Bible says it. We hear preachers tell talking about all the time. But can he really do it? Yes, he can do it. How do you know, John? Because he set me free. He delivered me. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Would you lift your hands right now? Let's thank Him all together for all the things that He has done. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. There is no telling what God can do if you believe. There is no telling what God can do.